0: Okay, on to Matthew chapter 22. We started Matthew one year ago this morning. And here we are in chapter 22, uh, entering the last week of Jesus' life. So it's pretty interesting, I think, that when you think about four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and they represent the bulk of what we have in the life of Jesus, the reliable scholarly stuff in the life of Jesus, there is a huge portion of those four documents spent on the last week of Jesus' life. So that means that, as far as God's concerned, it's really important that we focus hard on how Jesus chose to live those last seven days. And and, and so he gets off, uh, he comes out swinging. Um he incites the Jewish leadership, and a lot of what he says just has an extra kind of passion as he he begins, as he enters Jerusalem for one last time. And so we talked about uh, how Jesus entered Jerusalem and and went straight to the temple, but before we get to chapter 22, I need to cover, uh, and, and I debated about this, but I still think it's important. It's, very, it's theologically thick. It's like a 300-400 level theology. Uh, so please, no sleeping. And, and uh, I think it's going to be important that you get this so that we can better apply it to our life and also see how the Bible flows. Because it really isn't just this collection of rules and individual verses. It actually has some flow and great inspiration as to, as to how it progresses. So, here's your big deal theological word. dispensationalism. We're going to start off talking about dispensationalism. And if you're ever at a boring party and you want to spice it up, just start talking about dispensationalism and people will will wake right up. Um, Anyway, so dispensationalism says that God has a plan for specifically the Jewish people, that they are his called-out, extra-special people group, his chosen people, and that throughout the different eras, God treats them differently as he works toward fulfilling his plan for that people group. So it would go something like this, in terms of the ages. Um, starts out in the Garden of Eden, and it's Adam, and it's Eve, and there's perfection, and then they sin which brought into being a different era. God reacted and treated humans differently because of that sin. That was one era. And so then we get to Abraham, and God says, I'm going to create for myself a people group, the Jews, and I'm going to bless them, and they're going to be my favorite people, a different era or dispensation. And so there are different times, and, and so he, with with Abraham, he establishes a covenant, a promise, that if you follow me. If he, if they followed God, he would be their God, they would be his people, and they would have a special favor. Then we get to the time of Jesus, and this is why, I, right here where we're at in Matthew 20, 21, 22, something changes in that covenant. Um, God pours out or begins to pour out his judgment on Israel as a nation. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love the people group anymore simply means that he is now treating them differently. Now, some people believe, and based on what we're going to read today, that God essentially rejects them as his chosen people, and now everybody's equal. Other people believe that God essentially takes a break, and now they go through a season of judgment, and then someday in the future, God is going to get back to fulfilling his redemption of Israel. Regardless, what we're going to read today is that Jesus' main message is that what we do with Jesus has tremendous consequences. So Jesus starts this off, this message off, which is a new message toward Israel and people as he enters Jerusalem the first day of the last week of his life. And we read this, and I'm going to read it to you in in Luke chapter 19. If you want to follow along with me, Um, It's on page 733. If you love to study scripture, this is a big theological deal. Now, some of you probably just, what's it matter for my life? Tolerate this next few minutes and we'll get there. But if you love scripture and the flow of scripture, this is a big deal that we're talking about right now. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jerusalem representing all of God's people the Bible uses Jerusalem to symbolize God's relationship with his people. He wept over it, he's crying, and he said, "If you even you had only known the day that would this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side." This is exactly opposite what the Israelites would have expected the Messiah to say to them. (coughs) The enemies will encircle you, hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is is, is prophesying. He's telling them that the Romans, those that surround them, are going to destroy their city and kill them and their children. Why? Because they rejected God in the flesh when he was there. They rejected Jesus, and so there would be consequences. That's the prophecy that Jesus gives. Now, in 70 AD, 40 years later, and it, the Bible is filled with instances where God God likes the number 40 for some reason. And there are often 40 years or 40 days that connect major events in the history of Israel. And 40 years after Jesus says this, in 70 AD, the Romans did exactly what Jesus said. They absolutely leveled Jerusalem. It was horrific. The historian Josephus and others record it, and and it is just absolutely guts and gore. uh, Blood flowed from one side of the city to the other. Architecturally, the city was destroyed. The Romans scattered the Jews from, from the land of Israel, from the promised land, and they wouldn't return until after World War II. But the devastation in Israel was unthinkable. Or in Jerusalem, was unthinkable. So any Jew that would have read those words from Jesus after 70 A.D., They would have seen that as a powerful prophecy. Jesus basically saying, because you rejected me, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. Now that just begins what Jesus tries to do with the first few days of the last week of his life in telling Israel, what you decide about Jesus matters, and there are consequences surrounding that decision so we're going to get back to Matthew uh, chapter 20 and it says remember that Jesus went into Jerusalem he's welcomed as the Messiah but the very first thing he does instead of destroying the Romans he goes to the Jewish temple and he but tells them essentially you have this 180 degrees wrong you're a den of robbers you should be a house of prayer and he cleanses the temple by pushing out the religious leaders so he's he's hard He's hardcore with this message of Israel, you're a problem. The next thing he does is if, if you look down in chapter I lost my I lost my titles in the screen Bible. There's a point in chapter nineteen or twenty where Jesus curses a fig tree and 21 what verse? 18 thank you for just come on up here and finish for me because I'm um, in, in, Jesus comes up to this fig tree and it's not bearing fruit and he curses it now normally when Jesus comes to things that don't work well he heals them And you would expect that Jesus would continue this, but instead he curses it. Now let me, this is very powerful symbolism here. Israel, every Jew that read this, and remember we said that Matthew was a book written to Jews. In the Old Testament, the presence of figs and grapes, okay, flourishing fig trees and flourishing vineyards were associated with the blessing of God and a productive Israel. In other words, Israel being who God intended for them to be was associated symbolically with the presence of fig trees that bared fruit. So when Jesus comes to this fig tree that is not bearing fruit and then curses it, everyone in Israel who read this in the context of what's happening here in the book of Matthew would have understood that God is rejecting Israel. Instead of healing, he's withering. He's bringing it to an end, this special relationship. Then it moves on and talks about the religious leaders rejecting Jesus' authority, again fitting this flow of a rejection of Jesus. Jesus is then going to move, and I'm just telling you this not to bore you, but so you can see how Matthew flows. moves into three powerful parables that ultimately talk about the consequences that come from rejecting Jesus. He's there for them, they reject him, and there's going to be consequences. So now we're to Matthew chapter 22. It's on page 691. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, and parables were those sticky kind of ambiguous stories that told a spiritual truth that you had to work to find. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son, He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So right away, if you're a Jew, you're thinking about this. The kingdom of heaven is like a banquet. They got that. In their rabbinic language in the Old Testament, God would often use that kind of language to talk about his relationship with the Jews, a wedding banquet. And they were the ones that were invited Now, in a wedding banquet, when you think about it, when you throw a wedding party for your kids, you serve up a guest list of people that you love and are connected with. It's rarely an open invitation to the banquet. It's a select group of people. And the Jews resonated with this language because they believed themselves to be the select group of people invited to God's banquet. But here Jesus is saying, but this group of people who were invited rejected the invitation. Now they're going to think back to the Old Testament when time after time the Israelites rejected God's invitation to that special relationship and they were punished for it. They were exiled for it. So they're already making the connection with what Jesus is doing and what Matthew's writing about. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and and cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So God goes back to this group of people, and he ups the provision. Now he's talking about the menu. He's saying, this is a good spread. This is a good deal. Please come to my banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. Again, this is this is. They would have made the connection that this was about a relationship with God and about the Jews rejecting that relationship with God. They paid no attention, went off one to his field, another to his business, so they rejected God's way of life because they were concerned about their everyday responsibilities. They had no room for this. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Clear reference to the coming crucifixion of Jesus. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Again, any Jew that read this after 70 A.D. would have seen this as a clear prophecy that by rejecting Jesus... God was going to pour out his wrath. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now this story takes another turn for the Jewish crowd because what they're understanding God to be saying is because the Jewish people group rejected Jesus, now it's an open invitation. And by the good and the bad, you could essentially say the Jew and the Gentile because really there are only two groups of people in Scripture. There are Jews and there are Gentiles as far as the Jews are concerned. There are Jews, the good, and there are the Gentile filthy pagans, the bad. And what Jesus is essentially saying is because you guys have rejected the invitation, your city's going to be destroyed, and the invitation is now open to everybody. Now, this is a creepy little turn here. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. So he's at the party, he's in the mix, he thinks he's in the right place, but he's not. Dressed right. The king asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man had no answer. He was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there is weeping or where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. (coughs) Now that last section there, you have a guy who thinks he's in the right place, but he doesn't look the part, and so he's tossed out of the banquet, followed by this mysterious little phrase that can be interpreted different ways, but I'm going to give you my interpretation, that's all this is, is my interpretation. Many are called, but few are chosen. When you look at the language there, it seems to me that what he's essentially saying is everyone is invited. If you look at the passage, everyone is invited, but less are picked. In other words, Jesus is telling the Jewish crowd that day, just because you got an invitation to God's kingdom doesn't mean that you're in. And if you look at what is central, it all has to do with how you respond to Jesus what you do with jesus matters a big deal it mattered to the jews 2000 years ago it matters to us today because everybody gets the invitation but not everybody responds to it so i want to i want to just kind of go through this answering three questions that that i think a passage like this could raise because it's 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 not an easy passage to hear, toss them out in the outer darkness where there's agony. We don't like to think about that. And and I will say that I, I think categorically, if you've been a part of my teaching for very long, I tend to err on the side of grace, inclusion. There's a lot of negativity out there, a lot of Christians who aren't representing well, who are condemning and judgmental and make you feel horrible for who you are and all that. So I try to probably overcompensate for that, but... There are passages like this that simply say, what you do with Jesus here and now can have an eternal impact on where you spend the rest of your time. And so this is an important decision. So the first question that I want to thoroughly deal with is, am I invited? Like you hear that there's a God who throws a party and that there are people who end up at this party, and that this is an eternal kind of gathering. Are you invited? And the reason I think we all wrestle with this is is because I I know that there are many, many, many people who struggle with believing that there is a good God who actually would, would choose them. I have people come to me all the time and say, you know, I did this way back when. Am I going to hell? And and that's a fact. I mean, many of you have come to me and asked that question because we know where we've been. We know the horrible kinds of things that we do. And especially if you have had, like, an unpleasing father figure in your life, sometimes it's very, very hard to accept that the God of the universe could truly want us in his presence. But what we learn from this passage is that you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, the good and the bad are absolutely invited into life with God. You just are. Whether you can deal with it or not, you are invited. So I want you to turn, and this is an important passage, I really would like you to turn with me to see it. So on page 829, 1 Timothy 2, chapter 4 or I'm sorry 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 <coughs> says this God our savior wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth for there is one god and one mediator between god and mankind Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom For all people. And that's what that means. All people. The Hitlers, the Bin Ladens, the Mussolinis, the guy who did that thing to you. All people. God wants all people to come to a knowledge of him, to be made whole, to be saved and rescued and Jesus paid the ransom that means he paid the penalty to cover for the sin of Hitler Osama bin Laden the guy that did the thing to you all of those sins have been paid for now still have to receive the ransom that's been paid but it's all been paid for, so don't ever think that there is something that you have done that was not already paid for because the word of God is plain and clear. You are invited, God desires for you to connect with him, and he has paid the price for you. In the previous chapter to what we read, Jesus told another story about rejection of Jesus and the kinds of people that accepts him. And he looks at the religious leaders and he basically says, hookers and thieves are entering the kingdom of heaven and you religious leaders are missing it. Jesus' whole message to them, it doesn't matter what kind of a life you live, you are invited. God wants you in. John 3 God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So God is for you. God is for people. He loves people. He's all about people. And we are all invited now as followers of Jesus. If you're already in that relationship, we need to see his heart here. God wants those people you work with to be invited. God wants your neighbor to be invited. And it says he sends servants out to do the inviting. The king didn't go door to door. He sent his servants to do the inviting. Sometimes at great personal cost. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to, just like I need to, take that very seriously. God wants these people that you're connected with invited and you may need to be the inviter or they don't get the invitation. Sidebar statistics are very pointed that the vast majority of all people who don't attend church would would go if they were simply invited by a friend. So it's on us. God desires to get people in. They're inclined to come if invited. That's on us. So the second question, I mean, you're definitely invited. The second question is raised by that last um, statement there about the guy who's tossed. Am I dressed right? Maybe you're hanging around and you wonder, am am I dressed right? Am I okay? Am I in? Or do I just think that I'm in? Because Jesus is fairly clear that there are going to be plenty of people who are surprised that they're not in. Well, there are a couple passages that talk about being dressed properly in a spiritual sense, one of which is Galatians (coughs) 3.27. Maybe I'll find it. Galatians 3.27 says this. Let's start at 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself With Christ. So the Bible talks about baptism being an act that somehow mysteriously clothes us with Jesus. Now I know Polaris were a little weird about baptism, but this is why. Uh, Baptism in Scripture is equated with things like forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, beginning a relationship with Jesus. In fact, in Scripture, you could easily say that the earliest Christians said yes to Jesus by being baptized. That's how they said yes to Jesus, and so that's why we make it a big deal. And anything that says, this is what clothes you with Christ, makes it a big deal. Now, we don't baptize babies at Polaris, because in scripture, people were baptized when they decided to be baptized, and we just want to stay as close to Scripture as we can. And we dunk people underwater because it's our understanding that in Scripture, that's the way it was done. But baptism clothes you with Jesus. That's what the Word of God says. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't got that done, get it done. The stakes are too high. Revelation chapter 19 Verses 6 and following. This is one of the last moments in human history. Like one of the last things that will happen in the world as we know it. Is this cry from heaven. Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride, the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, wedding clothes. Bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for, wedding clothes stands for, the righteous acts of God's holy people. Wedding clothes. A symbolic representation for following the teachings of Jesus. It's as if Jesus is saying, you can hang around the party but you're not fooling anyone. If your life does not look the part, you're not in. That's how important following the teaching, and you're not earning it. We know that we don't work to gain forgiveness, but the kind of faith that God is looking for is demonstrated by lives, by lives that work to follow the teachings of Jesus, that truly value His teachings, Jesus never really said, I just want people to believe the right things about me. He said, if you don't deny yourself and follow my teachings, you cannot be a disciple. So we need to strive for lives that follow Jesus' teachings. That is being dressed for what God is doing. Now, one final question that I think we need to deal with, and this is the tough one, uh, the cheesy way to say it is if it's a wedding party, how long do I have to RSVP? Like, how long do I have to decide? If Jesus says how we respond to him is such a big deal, well, how how long do we have? And and so you look at this passage, and it says that people are being tossed into a darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the door is shut and they're out. <coughs> That makes the stakes pretty high, and many people would look at that and see that as a clear reference to hell. Um, the, I don't know if it's the majority, probably the majority Christian view is that there will be a point when we stand before God, and if we have not made the decision with this life to follow Jesus, we're separated from God for all eternity the weeping, the gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness, all eternity. Now, in a a few weeks, we're going to look at another passage of Jesus and talk more about the biblical possibilities for hell. And there are different biblical possibilities. Um, and, And I say that because I know that when it comes to the Jesus decision... There are many people who put it off because they feel like if I admit that I need Jesus to be right with God, I know I have that mom or that dad or that grandpa who never made that decision, and I don't want to admit or think that they're burning in hell for billions and billions and billions and billions of years. So you're hung up there. And and, and so here's what I want to say to you, and we'll talk more about this in greater detail in the coming weeks. There's always hope. You can look to Scripture and find hope. Don't put off the Jesus decision for fear of admitting that some relative or friend that died outside of Jesus has no hope. You have right now, though, to respond to Jesus. I don't know how long you have, but you have today. And the consequences may very well be eternal. If there's a chance that there's no more time to respond to Jesus and you're shut out from God's presence for all eternity, there's just no reason to put it off. And and you guys know me, or if, if, if you've been here, you know that this is not the kind of message that I normally throw out there. But you look at passages like this and you see the urgency. Jesus is saying, what you do with the Son of God, who paid the price for your sins, matters a big deal. There are consequences. And so I really hope that you can look at this and take it very, very seriously. Not only for yourself, But if you already made that decision, then we need to take it urgent for other people by inviting into that way of life. So, we're going to have one final song. And I want you to think about the relationship that you have or don't have. You have been invited. You've heard the invitation. You've heard the stakes. What have you done? How have you responded to Jesus? Jesus. It matters a big deal. Maybe it's time for some of you to accept the ransom that was paid. Maybe it's time for some of you to say, I am going to follow. I want to look the part for the first time. Maybe it's time for some of you to take the step of baptism. Now, if you want to talk about that, I just want to invite you to come up during this song. Or, if you're not ready to come up and, you know, being in front of people or whatever, just email me this week, give me a call, whatever, and let's talk about your next step. The stakes are too high for you to continue to put it off. This is your today to get things right. So let's stand, and if you have anything else to pray about, feel free to come up during this song, and I'd love to pray with you about whatever. So um, let's pray and then take this time to really focus on on what God's had to say uh, in his word. Uh, God, thank you for an invitation, because we sure don't deserve it. You've invited us to the party. You've thrown a party for us. You've invited us to the party, uh, and that's more than we deserve. You've paid the price for our sins. That's more than we deserve. You've offered us an amazing relationship with you that has no end. We're thankful for that. I want to pray that you would be very active here in our hearts, that you would tug us towards you, that you would make our next steps very, very clear, that you would burden us for those around us who need the invitation. We give you this time to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.